we're going to talk this morning uh, about Jeremiah and the reason for hope in the new year. Now, no, normally people don't do a sermon on Jeremiah on New Year's Day um, because his is not particularly a bright and sunshiny kind of story. Um, but here's, here's the thing. A lot of us are probably glad 2016 is over, okay? Who's glad 2016 is done, all right? Uh, and, that, and, that, and that's okay. And some, I'm sure, are just glad for a new year because it, it's, it's been a hard year for a lot of people. Um, and it's, it's easy when you've come out of a hard year even to get cynical about the next year, though, isn't it? It's sort of like 2016 was bad. Okay, this next year is going to be good, but really will it because it was hard, you know? And then we can start looking, and so the next bad news story that hits, here's what's going to happen. You guys know because something somewhere bad is going to happen. And then people are like, oh, it's happening again. Like, this is what's going to happen, especially on social media, because people love to get extra dramatic on social media. So, um, but I think there's, a, there's a, a cynicism that can make people despise not only the New Year, but things like New Year's resolutions. And, and, and this guy, I've had to fight this myself, because you're looking at things over there have been bad, therefore they're going to stay bad. And things in here have been bad, and so that's going to stay bad. Do you know what I mean? And so then we're like, I don't even want to try to say I'm going to do better because I know myself. Does that, do you guys feel that? All right, okay. Well, um, so I, I, with that in mind, I want to talk about Jeremiah. Jeremiah uh, was, he, he was called at a young age to be a prophet. He didn't want to be a prophet. Now, I can relate to that. In fact, pretty much all of us who've ever been a pastor at Christ Center can relate to that. We, we jokingly refer to this as the church of the reluctant pastor because none of us have ever really wanted to be a pastor, yet here we are. Jeremiah did not want to be, his, his, his uh, father, it appears, was, was a priest, and maybe he wanted to go in, in that direction. But this whole like speaking for God thing, speaking the words of God to powerful people, not a real attractive gig. Now, there was a time in the 90s when everybody wanted to be a prophet, like an Old Testament prophet. That was the thing. It was sort of like, yeah, we're going to be hardcore. Okay, but you have to actually read the Old Testament to know if you want that gig, okay? Because if you've ever read the story of Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Hosea, like, guys, this is a really difficult gig. So Jeremiah, unlike everybody in the 90s who was... <laughs> he knew to go, Lord, I don't really want this gig. And he says, you know what? I want you to take this, and I want you to run with it. I will give you the words, etc." So he finally, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure he had plans. Maybe he wanted to, maybe he, you know, wanted to play the cymbals or something, you know? Maybe he wanted to play the lyre. I don't know. Who knows? I had plans. So finally he goes, okay, God, fine. And he walks away. And you know what he says? 626 BC is the worst year ever. <laughs> so then he started preaching this same sermon. He had one sermon. The Lord only gave him one. Now, this is unfortunate. This is unfortunate. Only one sermon. Now, this drives me crazy because I hate teaching anything that feels similar more than once. And I always feel like I have to do something different and mix it up because I feel so repetitive. He had to do the same thing for 20 years. Now, here's, here was his sermon, too. It wasn't like a... Be all you can be in Jesus kind of sermon. Well, because Jesus hadn't come, but anyway, forget it. Okay, it wasn't like that. It was like death and destruction is coming to Jerusalem kind of sermon. Unfortunate. 
unfortunate. Now, people didn't believe him. Now, they didn't believe him because it was so hard to believe because he kept talking about the Babylonians and people were like, yeah, but like they're way over there. They're not coming over. Plus, we have this really awesome leader named King Josiah. And why in the world would God judge us when Josiah is the king? Because he's a godly man. And it's true, he was. So people didn't, they didn't get it. But everywhere the Lord says, listen, you need to warn these people. They're, they're going through motions, sometimes externally, uh, but their hearts are far, far from me. They're so idolatrous in their hearts. And you need to tell them that this nation and this king, Nebuchadnezzar, this general who's rising to be king, they are becoming powerful and they're going to judge the nation. So he has to go and tell them over and over again. And pretty soon he becomes a laughingstock. Now he's really upset at God. Because he says, everywhere I go, I'm a laughingstock. Now, uh, uh, I, I, he, would, he would use these, the, these words, death and destruction. And uh, 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 Old Testament scholar uh, Walter Kaiser, any relation, Mike? Walter Kaiser? No? No? Are you sure? Man, because I'd love to have him come and speak here. He's like the best. Anyway, Walter Kaiser, he, he says they, they probably called him old two-pointer. Death and destruction. Oh, here comes old two-pointer. Hey, two-point Jerry. Yeah, what is it? Death and destruction? Oh, how in the world did I guess that? <laughs> Poor guy. And he walks away again, red-faced with his, with his companion, Barak, the scribe. And he says, Barak, 610 BC is the worst year ever. Well, it wasn't, because then Josiah died. Good King Josiah died. Now, this is very unfortunate, because the one thing they felt like they had going for him, this really godly king who was doing all these reforms, doing everything he could, suddenly he dies at a really young age in a dumb battle. He shouldn't have been in this battle. It was, it was ill-advised from the beginning, so suddenly it's just like so pointless. Here he is, and he's, he's gone. And, and so 608 B.C. is definitely the worst year ever. And then, and then okay, this is really unfortunate. <sighs> Little aside. It's difficult to find good parents in the Bible. It's really true. This isn't a joke. It really is. You'll see these amazing people like King Josiah who turned his heart fully to the Lord and did all these amazing things but apparently had no interest at all in discipling his children. Same with King Hezekiah, same as King David. All of these things, and it's really unfortunate. A lot of this, I'm sure, was this sort of kingly system. It's just hard to find people who did it right. Josiah, for all the beautiful things he did, boy, his, his, he, I, I don't think... Now, it, it, of course, sometimes kids just go and do their own thing. You can't, it's not, much of the time, it has nothing to do with the parents whatsoever. But it's a, it's, a, it's a cycle that you see over and over again with these kings, right? It's a cycle. So I think something was really messed up. The kids belonged in the harem, and the, the women took care of them. And, and over here, you know, I'm doing kingly things, like calling the nation to repent. Never mind the fact that your sons are going to take over pretty soon. So here's what happens. His sons are such a wreck. And this, this Jehoiakim, who's the oldest, he's such a wreck that, that the kingdom passes on to his younger brother. It skips him. Now he's coming, he gets taken away right away and thrown into exile, so Jehoiakim becomes king anyway. Here is what a moron Jehoiakim was. And it's okay, I'm not gossiping, he's dead. He's been dead for a couple millennia, okay? King Jehoiakim, he, he ignores the word of the Lord to such an extent 
that he hears the words of Jeremiah over and he's a famous prophet. And, and, and Jehoiakim says he's not, or excuse me, Jeremiah says he's not listening. So Barak, we need to come and take all the scrolls that we've done over the last two decades and take all the things the Lord has said and read them to King Jehoiakim directly to show, look, there's history. This is what God has been saying. So like the book of Jeremiah. So they go and they take all these. Now these weren't just you know, easy print-on-demand kind of books. It, making a scroll, hard work. Preserving scrolls, hard work. This is the life work of Barak and Josiah. They bring it to the king and they're reading it in the town square. They have probably their town crier reading it or whatever he was. And, and so he's, they, he reads and they, you know, they would like read in, in columns. And, and, and he, he took his knife the king said, can I see that, please? He takes his knife, he cuts off the column, and he puts it and he burns it in the fire next to him. <laughs> What's the next one? And prophecy after prophecy, he takes. He burns it right there in front of everyone, as if to say, I have zero interest in what God says. And he goes on and he tries to build his own palace He's building himself a new, brand new palace while Nebuchadnezzar is going sacking land after land after land. And the word of God is warning him. No avail. That, my friends, especially if you're Barak the scribe, you could say that had to be the worst year ever. Very unfortunate. Nebuchadnezzar, in the meantime, grows in strength. And finally, he shows up on Israel's doorstep excuse me, the southern kingdom of Judah's doorstep, and he, uh, uh, he shows a great display of strength and they bow to him, and he takes away thousands of people. He, he essentially cripples the nation by taking away all their future leaders, and he puts a heavy, heavy uh, uh, burden on them. They have to pay tons of tribute, and they're right under his thumb. They are all, for all intents and purposes, they are a Babylonian state now. Nebuchadnezzar, uh, excuse me, Jeremiah had to witness both of those things. So now it's 593. He's been preaching now for... Help me out, 26 years, 33 years. 33, he's been, and he's the same sermon. And you think that now that Nebuchadnezzar has shown that strength, now people are gonna listen to him, right? No, because Jehoiakim now is dead. And so his other brother, Zedekiah is now king. And Zedekiah, he's like, well, I'm pretty sure we can still beat Nebuchadnezzar. It's like, what? Are you kidding? So, so then, then they besiege Jerusalem. Now, siege warfare throughout history is a bummer. Like, I mean, it's, it's awful. It's awful. You've got the army surrounding a city and waiting for them to die of starvation and or disease. And if anyone tries to flee, they hunt them down and kill them. So the psychological effect on the people inside is devastating, not to mention the physical effects of not having clean water uh, and not having enough food. So this is happening now in Jerusalem. They have nothing left. And Jeremiah continues to cry out and say, please turn back to God. And they don't listen. King Zedekiah doesn't listen. In fact, people conspire against him and they throw him in prison. And when I say in prison, I don't, well, that's a generous term. Very generous term. What happened really was that he was thrown in the bottom of a well, a cistern. And there was no water in it, but it was a long way because you couldn't climb up. You had to throw him way down there somewhere and all there was was mud. And he's left there in that well to die. Uh, personally, I am claustrophobic. 
And I cannot imagine what he must have been going through. And uh, the Lord was good to him. That's good. I'm sure if it comes time, Lord, if you have to throw me down a well, you're going to have to do something in here, I'm sure. All right. So there he is. There is Jeremiah. What a, a, man, what what a tough thing. Are we having the worst year ever? Did we just have the worst year ever? This is, I bring this up because I'm seeing this everywhere. Everywhere. Like, oh, it's just terrible. Oh, it's now, I don't want to make light of it because there was a lot of unfortunate stuff that took place this year. I mean, as a country, there was more political unrest, more racial tension, mass shootings, all kinds of, not to mention the death of celebrities who meant a lot to people sentimentally and, and of course to their families. This is a very sad thing. But the other stuff, I mean, it's, it's a pretty big deal. And it was depressing for a lot of people. And it was this sort of wet blanket. And, and, and it makes people think, and when you start thinking about the future, the future now to most of us is a scary thing. Back in the day, we didn't look at the future as a scary thing. We're like, man, it's going to be so cool. There's going to be moving sidewalks. The cars will fly. Or jackets will just dry up, right? You don't see any movie about the future now. It's never good. It's all post-apocalyptic, right? It's so true. So it, it has become a scary thing uh, because things have gotten just so terrible. Um, and, uh, and, and even here at Christ Center, let's be honest, it's, it's been a hard year for us. We, we lost some dear members of this family. We've had... People who have had troubling diagnoses as we prayed for Tito today. We've, we've, we have had some who've really suffered. We've had people that experienced incredible relational tension, family tension, uh, breakdowns in the family. We've seen troubling developments with our kids sometimes. And, you know, whatever it is, it's okay to acknowledge that it's been hard. In fact, I think the worst thing we can do is pretend that it's all been great. It doesn't get you anywhere. Now, some people look at that as a step of faith, but here's the thing. God is big enough to accept reality. So if we're hurting, it does us no good to pretend that we're not hurting. It's much better to go, Lord, I'm hurting. Lord, I'm a mess. Can I bring myself to you in my messiness? And I think that's much healthier. But, see, you don't have to choose. It's not either horrible or it's great, because here's the thing. This year hasn't only been bad. This has been also, a really good year for Christ Center. We've had several new children born. Isn't that a great thing? Awesome thing. Uh, we've had, we have new foster families taking in the most hurting and vulnerable kids in our community. We have, uh, uh, we're, we're deploying you guys all over the valley and serving the least of these, serving the kingdom of God in beautiful ways. Uh, uh, we have a lot of new family members among us. A lot of you guys came to us this year. In fact, we had so many new family members that came that we had to have a second service start, which is going to start again next week, by the way. But you guys are 9 o'clock people. We are starting again. We've baptized. We've had a baptism this morning. We've baptized a lot of people. We've had a lot of people receive inner healing, outer healings, and, and, and soul-renovating salvations. It's been a hard year, but it's been a good year. Now, I want to read something here. Um, 
this is, I'm going to read a, a few paragraphs of this, so, so please bear with me. This is from a man, I don't know if he's a believer or not, his name's uh, Johann Norberg, and he wrote an article back in August called, Why Can't We See We're Living in a Golden Age? It's a long title. Uh, he wrote this for the Spectator uh, in Great Britain. So bear with me. I, I, I thought it's better just to read this and to try to show you what's happening here. If you think there has never been uh, a better time to be alive, that humanity has never been safer or healthier or more prosperous or less unequal, then you are in the minority. But that is what the evidence incontrovertibly shows. Poverty, malnutrition, illiteracy, child labor, infant mortality are falling faster than at any other time in human history. The risk of being caught up in war, subject to a dictatorship, or of dying in a natural disaster is smaller than ever. The golden age is now. Let's skip down. Look at the year 1828, the year The Spectator, where he wrote this, was first published. Most people in Great Britain lived uh, in what is now regarded as extreme poverty. Life was nasty. People still threw their, uh, their waste out the window. It was brutish. There were corpses that would be displayed uh, uh, on gibbets. And it was short. Life was short. 30 years on average. The 30 years. Can you believe that? 1828. The first iteration of The Spectator in 1711 was published in Britain. And... Uh, uh, whose people uh, subsisted on an average, get this, uh, subsisted on an average of fewer calories than the average child gets today in sub-Saharan Africa. Isn't that interesting? Now that, so that was 1711 to 1828, okay? So, now we keep going. Fast forward to 1981. Uh, then almost nine in 10 Christians lived in extreme poverty. 1981, okay, you get that? Nine in ten, excuse me, Chinese lived in extreme poverty. Now, just one in ten do. In China. China's the most populous nation in the entire world. Then, just half the world's population had access to safe water. This was uh, in 1981. So now, 91% of people on the planet have access to safe, safe water. Isn't that amazing? On average, that means that 285,000 more people have gained access to safe water every day for the past 25 years. Crazy, huh? Now, he talks about trade here. It's no coincidence that such a growth has, has occurred alongside a massive expansion of rule by the people and for the people. A quarter century ago, barely half the world's countries were democracies. Now, almost two-thirds are. Now, to say that freedom is still on the march is an understatement. Part of our problem is one of success. As we get richer, our tolerance for global, global poverty diminishes, so we get angrier about injustices. Charities uh, quite rightly wish to raise funds, so they draw attention to the plight of the world's poorest. But since the Cold War ended, extreme poverty, you gotta get this, you ready for this? Since the Cold War ended, extreme poverty has decreased from 37% to 9.6% in single digits for the first time in human history. Is that crazy? This is since 1981. Never been under 10% before. This has not happened through the destruction uh, of the Western middle class. Times have been rough since the financial crisis. Yet for all the talk of Americans being left behind in globalization, median income and middle income U.S. households has increased by more than 30% since just 1970. And this excludes all the things you can't put a price on, such as advances in medicine and extra 10 years of life expectancy since then. 
The internet, mass communications, clear air and water, etc., etc. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that fascinating. Uh, I, I'm not saying everything's been is, is perfect. Obviously, everything there's a, there's a lot of trouble in this world. You bring up some of the uh, the crisis in Syria or in South Sudan, but then you look at other places that have been having civil war. Two decades ago, had two million people die, and those aren't going on anymore. So, I'm not saying things are rosy. I'm not saying we have to have a sort of Pollyanna outlook on the world. What I'm saying is this. We've got to be willing to tell both, both sides of the story. I'm not saying look on the bright side. I'm saying we have to be willing to look on both sides. Do you see what I'm saying? Because otherwise we, we end up in this place where we're not being intellectually honest. And, and, and that actually can lead to despair. And guys, we're believers in Jesus Christ and we're not allowed to despair. More on that. Back to Jeremiah. Here's where we left him. We left him in the well, just like his friends were cruel. He's down in that muddy cistern, and finally his friends pull him out, and he goes before the king. So the city is in the middle of the siege. It's actually late. It's been happening for a long time, and the Babylonians have their armies outside the gate, and they're just waiting for the situation to become extra desperate. So there was no hope in, in winning a battle against them, okay? There, there's just no hope. Jeremiah goes before the king and the king promises to obey whatever God says through Jeremiah. He believes he's a prophet. He knows he speaks the words of the Lord. Fine, whatever you say, I will listen to. And Jeremiah says, okay, fine, then don't rebel. Fine, go out and surrender to the king of Babylon because this will not have a political solution, this problem you're in. It won't. There is no political solution. The only hope is to throw yourself at the mercy of God by surrendering to Nebuchadnezzar. And what does he do? He goes, okay, I'll do it. And what do we find him doing? We find him trying to sneak off with his guard down to Egypt to get help from the Pharaoh down there. Maddening. And of course it doesn't work. Of course Nebuchadnezzar catches him and uh, tortures him, murders his sons, and that's the end. So, here's where we end up. This is the end of the book of Jeremiah. Oh, it's brutal. This is a protracted piece here, but I want to let you guys feel the weight of this, okay? I'm going to do it this way so I can see, because these letters are bigger than those letters. And in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came with all his army against Jerusalem and laid siege to it, and they built siege works all around it. So the city was besieged till the eleventh year of King Zedekiah. On the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine was so severe in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. Then a breach was made in the city and all the men of war fled and went out from the city by night by way of a gate between the two walls by the king's garden and the Chaldeans were around the city. And then they went in the direction of Arabah. But the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king and overtook Zedekiah in the plains of Jericho and all his army was scattered from him. Then they captured the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah in the land of Hamath, and he passed sentence on him. The king of Babylon slaughtered the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes and also slaughtered all the officials of Judah and Riblah. He put out the eyes of Zedekiah and bound him in chains, and the king of Babylon took him to Babylon and put him in prison till the day of his death. In the fifth month of the tenth day of the month, that was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the bodyguard, or, excuse me, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the bodyguard who served the king of Babylon, entered Jerusalem and he burned the house of the Lord. Oh, 
They burned the temple. The temple that David had saved up for. The temple that Solomon had built for Yahweh. He had burned it to the ground. And the king's houses and all the houses of Jerusalem, every great house he burned down. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard broke down all the walls around Jerusalem. And Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, carried away captive some of the poorest of the people and the rest of the people who were left in the city and the deserters who had deserted to the king of Babylon together with the rest of the artisans. But Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, left some of the poorest of the land to be vine dressers and plowmen. 586 was, without a doubt, the worst year ever if you were one of God's chosen people. Horrible, horrible. Jeremiah stays there in Jerusalem. Many of them are carried away, as it says, but he stayed, and he wrote a lament for his city. In the midst of that lament, which we call Lamentations, it's a very sad song. And in the midst of this, here's what he says in chapter three. He, meaning God, has made, uh, has made my teeth grind on gravel. He's talking about, because this was uh, a punishment of the Lord on the nation. So he has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. I'm not saying we have to have hope because things have been worse. I'm saying to have hope because his mercies are new every morning, even in bad years. The point is, no matter how bleak the situation looks, his mercies are new every morning. So here we are, 2017. Why can we have hope? Not because things are better economically or better, uh, uh, you know, with the, in poverty or fighting, not because of any of that. We are in a good place here because his mercies are new every morning. That means no matter, no matter where we are, no matter how far, how badly we personally have blown it, we come to him on this first day of 2017, which happens to be a new day, happens to be a new morning. Here we are. Hey, guess what? His mercies are new today. Isn't that good news? His mercies are new today. So if you're looking for a good time to start over, hey, no time like the present because his mercies happen to be new today. Hey, guess what? You came on a good day. His mercies are new today. Isn't that really cool? So, and, and, and if you, you, you get a New Year's resolution, you say, today I'm gonna do this thing right, and, and you blow it. I got good news for you. Tomorrow it's also, his, his, his mercies are gonna be new tomorrow. Yeah. And because of that 
unblemished faithfulness, unbroken record of faithfulness, no matter where we are. It's because of that we can draw strength from him, his very person. We draw strength and we can see these changes that we're so longing for in our own hearts even. The places when you go, Lord, I've just broken it. I am cynical now about myself because of all the times that I have blown it. If you are cynical about the state of the world today, and I understand, I understand, I really do. Maybe you're cynical about the the state of, of the political world or whatever it is. Can I suggest to you that Maybe it's because you're putting too much faith in that process. Are you looking for some kind of salvation out of the political realm? Because it ain't coming. I don't care who's elected president. I don't care who's our governor. I don't care which party is in. Your salvation will not come through Washington, D.C. or through Salem. It will not. I don't care how good or smart or godly or whoever. It's not coming from there. So if you find yourself in despair because of the sorry state of humanity today, you're putting way too much faith in humanity. And if you find yourself cynical about yourself to go, man, how in the world can I even hope to see change? How can I hope for a new resolution in my life? Can I suggest to you that you have way too much hope in yourself? Is that what you want to hear on New Year's Eve? Stop believing in yourself. Stop it. Stop believing in yourself. Believe in his mercies. They're new every morning. He's where you draw strength. If you're trying to find strength in here, you're going to wind up tripping every time. You're going to wind up going, wretched man that I am. You were never meant to believe yourself. That's what the culture tells you. Stop. Stop. Look up. Stop and look up. It's time, guys. It's time to take those cynicisms that we feel in the world, the reasons we feel hopeless, internally and externally, and give them to him. You guys ready to do that? I'm gonna, tell, I'm gonna ask you if, if you, if you are fighting cynicism, the state of the world today, I'm gonna ask you to do something. Can you stand up? And, and if you wanna trade those in, this is, if you, anybody? Tired of feeling cynical or hopeless or in despair about the state of the world, maybe the state of politics or the violence you see or any of those things, okay? Now, others... Are are you feeling cynical about yourself and your your own inability to grow in the ways that you know God wants you to grow? Anybody? About your own state of discipleship, shall we say, the state of your own heart. Okay? Give you guys a minute. Anyone else? All right, let's close our eyes. It's a real simple thing. No mumbo jumbo here. We're just going to give it to him. All right? We're just going to give it to him. So just hold it out. Yeah? Here it is, Lord. Here's our junk. Yeah, right here. Here's all the nasty stuff that we, all, the, all these mindsets that we're tired of that we know don't work. Here's all the trash. Lord, can, can, can we just throw it out together? All right, just dump it out. Just, just, just drop it. No mumbo jumbo, just a physical thing that we're doing because our hearts are doing it, right? Let's just drop it. Just, just release it. There you go. We're done. Lord, I pray that you would stomp on those things. Now let's turn our hands up right again. Lord Jesus, would you give us your strength? Would you give us your joy? Lord, would you give us your new mercies, which are new today? 
steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. They are new every morning. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Let's give him a clap. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, it's gonna be a good year because he's a good God and his mercy is gonna come. 365, it is not leap year, right? 365 mornings this year and we're gonna see breakthroughs, amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us. Prayer Servant Team is going to be up here if you need prayer for anything at all. God bless you.